So I have the incredible privilege, and it's, it's a humbling privilege to, for whatever reason, I get to sit in front of however many people this is, 100 people today, and talk about my favorite topic. And we, we touched on it last week that you've probably suspected at this point that I'm a big fan of Jesus. And hopefully, uh, Jesus will always be the center of who we are and, and what we do at Daylight Church. And so we're going to continue that series talking about Jesus and the names of Jesus. And last week, we, we referenced this, this particular passage of Scripture where it talks about, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So that's incarnation. Carnality is, is carne, it's flesh, it's meat, and how, how God entered meat. God, God became a person that you could touch and smell his breath, and, and that, that that person was the Word. And so we talked, we talked briefly about how you can tell a lot about a person based on their words. If you could follow somebody around from start to finish, from birth to death, and you could record all of their words and then read all of their words, you would learn a lot about that person. Probably a lot more than you would typically learn just being around them in public. If you could record every word, you would know them really well. And so when Scripture describes Jesus as the Word, it's, it's saying you can, you can understand the character of God, you can understand the, the personality of God based on who Jesus was. So we're, we're of the opinion that if you want to know what God looks like, you look to Jesus. Because that's the surest way of knowing the character and personality of God. And, and we talked about several things that Jesus did during his ministry, and one was that he healed everybody. So at the beginning of his ministry, he announced that he was going to go out and that the blind would see and that the oppressed would be free and slaves would be released. And, and we mentioned how those things that Jesus did weren't just meant to be literal or figurative, but it was a combination of both. That when he said blind eyes would see, he meant literally that people who had never been able to physically see again before would see for the first time. But he also meant figuratively, people who have walked in darkness and not seen, seen clearly would see clearly for the first time. And so he went around figuratively and physically, literally healing people. And he went around touching people who were untouchable. He went around touching lepers and people who were outcasts and people who who were the fringe of society, he, he went up and got close to where they could smell his breath. In a, in, a, in a culture where a Jewish rabbi was basically forbidden from doing such. And in doing that, he turned the tables on the religious society. He went into the temple, and he, so he literally touched people, and he figuratively touched people. He literally healed people, and he figuratively healed people. And he literally turned over the tables in the temple, and he figuratively turned over the tables in the temple. He went in and did a physical act of overthrowing the temple and overthrowing the table and driving people out with a whip to say that religious elitism is not where it's at. And so Jesus, as the Word of God, represents the character of God, and we see that that's the goal of God, is that he would go in and touch and heal and overthrow elitism, that he, that he was about the outcast and the underprivileged. And so we want to continue, or at least I want to continue, and I say we to mean me in this particular case, but hopefully we're all involved in this. I would like to continue just talking about Jesus and how really incredible he was and some of the names of Jesus. And of course, during the holiday season, the focus is on Jesus and the birth of Jesus, the advent. Uh, it's, it's kind of the beginning of the life of Jesus. And there's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah some of you may, be, may or may not be familiar with the word Septuagint. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but it was eventually translated into Greek. And that happened probably between 200, about 250 to 285 B.C. 
So we know that the words we're about to read were written approximately 300 years before Jesus was ever born. But it was a prophecy about the Messiah. So the person writing the scrolls of Isaiah was predicting that this Savior would come. And these are the words that Isaiah wrote about that Savior. It said, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the Israelite community would recognize that, that the coming Messiah, the Savior, could be categorized as a wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, as mighty God. But interestingly, he leads off this passage with a different description of what this child would be. And it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So he leads off this passage about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, who will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the one that we sing Christmas hymns about. He leads it off saying he will be the light of the world, that he will illuminate us. And it's a, it's a theme you see all throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. He said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And light and illumination... Just like last week, we talked about how the Word of God and, and, and Jesus being the revelation of God to man is a, a central theme throughout Scripture. This idea of the Savior, the Messiah, being light. You can't miss it if you read the Bible. This idea of there is darkness and there is light, and Jesus is the light, and He illuminates everything. It's hard to miss. You see, a light of revelation to the Gentiles is what Jesus was. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. The true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And it, it continues. The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The knowledge of the glory of God is light that we see in the face of Christ. If you want to know what light is, if you want to know what God looks like and have him illuminated so that he can be seen clearly, once again, we see that the, the way for that to happen is to look intently into the face of Christ, the eyes of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the teaching of Jesus. One thing that light does is it gives clarity. It, it'd be a tough world without light. I think of all the senses, if I, if I had to ditch one, light, uh, my vision would be the last to go. If I, if I couldn't speak, in some sense, that would just be a joy because I wouldn't have to talk to people. If, 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 you couldn't, if you couldn't taste, if you couldn't hear, those, those things to me seem far more adaptable than not being able to see. To me, the loss of sight would be, would be except maybe touch, which would involve paralyzation, but now I'm starting to babble. <laughs> Having light and being able to see the path in front of you and see, see the road and see people and see what you want to do is invaluable. And what Scripture teaches us is that that's what Jesus does. If he is the light of the world, that he opens up a world of possibilities that you can see. If you read Scripture, we find out that Jesus is central. You find out that Paul says he was determined to know nothing. So Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians, I think it was, yes. And he says, he says I decided that when I was with you, I'm not going to know anything except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Of everything, that's central. He also writes elsewhere, he says that if Christ be not raised, your faith is worthless or your faith is in vain. And so we find that this idea of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one is what the Christ means. It's not a name, it's a title, and it means the anointed one, like the king. 
says the king will illuminate everything so that you can see, and he is central. He is pivotal. I have some, some good friends that are atheists who are, who are borderline atheists, who are searchers, who are Christians that, that aren't sure what they believe about a lot of things, and we have really interesting dialogues about some of the tougher questions of life, like why am I here? Uh, where does consciousness come from? Why is there suffering? And all these other things you see on the screen here. You know, how should I live is a big question. I mean, we, in, in some sense, we come into this world out of darkness into darkness. We, we, this, this world isn't like Beetlejuice. It, you don't get in, handed an instruction manual that tells you all the steps to take through life. It's, you're kind of going it alone even though you've got a little bit of help. Darkness is kind of the natural state. Ignorance is the natural state of mankind. And it's, it's all kind of an unfolding light. And a lot of it doesn't unfold. A lot of it is just mystery. We don't, we don't, know, we don't know the answers to this. I, I can stand up here as a preacher and a follower of Jesus and say, I don't know that I know the answer to suffering. I don't know that I know where everything came from. I, what I can say is that embracing Jesus makes a whole lot of sense about all of this. Now, I do think all these questions have great answers, and I find the answers from theism or Christianity way more compelling than some of the alternatives. But I'm not going to get into that today. We have a whole series online called Can You Have a Brain and Be a Christian that gets into everything from the resurrection to quantum physics. And you can, you can, you can read about that, or you can go watch those yourself. But my point is that once you are in a follower of Jesus, once you embrace Jesus, the question of why I am here isn't nearly as difficult to answer. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief duty of man is to glorify God and to delight in Him forever. If, if, it's, it's, in, in, in computer programming, there's a lot of if-then statements. If you put this answer in, then this portion of code will occur. If you answer this, then this will happen. And life is filled with if-thens. But if Jesus, then purpose makes sense, meaning makes sense. If Jesus, the question of suffering... Is suffering occurring because we're just all in one some big cosmic accident and it's total chaos and anarchy? I, if Jesus, the way you look at it is, no, this is a world that was created for love and love was corrupted and corruption ruins everything. And I, I'm not saying these are all easy answers, but I'm saying that if Jesus is the light of the world, we would expect him to shed some light on difficult topics. And in my opinion, you can go down the entire list of difficult topics, and Jesus helps out a lot. Jesus, and, and, and the nice thing is, in my, in my take and in my opinion, Jesus offers kind of a uniform, concentralized, making sense of the world. If God came as man and he was the revelation of God to man, you would think that following him would make sense out of some of the big questions, and I'm of the opinion that it does. And let's talk about one of the questions. One of them was, how should I live? So let's talk briefly about morality. And it's, there, there's all kinds of argumentation out there how morality proves faith and proves theism. And I, I, I want to be careful with the word prove. But one question that really compels me is that we all, every human being, every human being except people we would describe as, as needing mental, biological, physiological help, um, sadists. But apart from sadists, um, people have a moral code in general. Uh, whether you're atheist, whether you're Buddhist, Baha'i, Christian, or Hindu, everyone has a moral code. And what we find is that that moral code transcends personal morality. I looked up recently what the highest high jump in the world, and I told some of my team this morning, anybody want to take a guess what the highest high jump 
of the, the, the world record is? Anybody want to take a stab? Matt Chalmers is absolutely precisely correct. It's eight feet and one quarter inch. And uh, I'm shocked at that. That was meant to be funny. <laughs> no, Matt, Matt's a brilliant guy. Um, eight feet. If I, if I, stand, I used to play volleyball and the men's net is eight foot four and my fingers would come about four inches short of the net. So my fingertips are almost exactly eight feet. So some human being, there's videos of it online, some human being is able to run and jump over that height backwards, which to me is just ridiculous. And when we, when we talk about morality, what we find is that all of us have this sense that that bar is much higher than we could ever hope to jump. And it really doesn't matter what background you're from. It's, it's fairly universal that as, as children grow up and start to see the world, they have this sense of morality and they realize they fall short of that bar. And I find it a very compelling argumentation in favor of theism, in favor of Christianity, uh, because I'm thinking if this is all a cosmic accident, if this is, if this is all material, if it's all survival of the species and social conditioning, I have this sense that morality would allow a lot more brutality than it does. I have this sense that, the, that we would give our, cut ourselves a whole lot more slack than we do. But for whatever reason, even the staunchest materialist, if, in my opinion, in conversation, if honest, will say that there is a moral bar and I fall far short of that bar. And I think Jesus makes sense of that because in the, in the life and teachings of Jesus, actually this, this is a quote I found from a song by Lou Reed. Uh, it's in a movie called Far Away, So Close, which I thought fit in with, with the concept. He said, why can't I be a God? Why can't I be good? Why can't I be good? Why can't I be good? I don't want to be weak. I, I want to be strong. I'm, I'm not a, hap, a fat, happy weakling with two useless arms, a mouth that keeps moving with nothing to say, an eternal baby who never moved away. Why can't I be good? Why can't I be good? And I feel like this is, in a sense, probably the honest heart cry of every human being. There's this idea that I'm not good. I'm, I may be good in comparison to people, to other people, but there's this idea that there's this standard that I miss. And Jesus and the New Testament would seem to agree with that standard. If you read in, in Romans, it says, uh, Jesus himself, when somebody calls, comes to him and calls him God, he says, somebody calls him Lord, he says, why do you call me that? He says, there's none good except God. And I feel like Jesus was making the point that in calling me good, you recognize who I am. But it's this idea that there are none good. And if you read in Romans chapter 3, very famous Christian passage, uh, it, it says there are none righteous, not even one. There is none that's holy. That, 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 that this, whole, this standard of, God, of, of, of morality, that we all miss it. And, and Scripture teaches us that Jesus, in my opinion, offers the greatest explanation for how that system could possibly work because it says your morality and your righteousness is not the standard by which you will be judged. It says it is by grace, the grace of God. It is by mercy that you will be saved. It says, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice those words, in Christ Jesus. It says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So Christianity and the teachings of Jesus don't deny that the moral bar is set impossibly high. It's a high jump of 12 feet. You can't do it. No one can do it. No one ever will be able to do it. 
But scripture and the teachings of Jesus indicate that it's okay. There's a father who takes care of business. There's a father who pours out his love on people and, and, and can work in your life. But then there's this, there's this mix where, where scripture also teaches that there is a moral responsibility. So when we're talking about the light of the world, we're, we're saying that we can look at morality and see that it seems impossibly high. What do we do? And I think Scripture illuminates that. It says you accept grace, the grace of God, but then it says you also work hard. It says train yourself to be godly. It says, it says be, be perfect like the Father in heaven is perfect. And then this passage in Romans, it says, what then shall we sin? Shall we go on just missing the mark just, just because we're covered in grace? It says by no means. It says absolutely not. See, Jesus illuminates this tightrope, this balance in our lives of trusting Him and His grace and achieving the ability to jump as high as we possibly can, that we work hard to be as close to God and like God as we can possibly be. This passage lays out the morality of Jesus. It's, it's very interesting that whether you're atheist or Buddhist or Baha'i or, or Hindu, the concept of altruism typically is the standard by which we view morality. And altruism, of course, is laying down your life for another. It's, it's, it's legitimately selfless acts. And people philosophize back and forth as to whether even the single most elementary altruistic uh, act is even possible for a human being. Is it possible for us to ever do anything without some kind of mixed selfish motive inside? But that's what we find in the life of Jesus, the light of the world, is the illumination of altruism, the highest God, the king of the universe, stepping down and saying, I lay my life down on my own accord. No one could take it from him. He surrendered it. And that's what we find is that he laid down his life for us. So when it comes to morality, when it comes to the question of how do I live my life, what is the path in front of me that I should follow? That idea of laying down your life pervades every single interaction you'll have. It, it should invade your friendships, your workspace, your marriages and family. It should, it should affect how, how you view your health, how you view your finances, how you view your time. That's, that's, that's what the light of the world would say is lay it all down. It, there's a passage in Philippians. I think that's what I've got up next. Yes, it's Philippians 2, and it talks about a concept... I, described as kenosis, and we've mentioned that before. And kenosis is, is that concept of laying down one's life, giving oneself up. Scripture teaches that, behold, there is no greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And in this it, sa it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather consider others more important than yourselves. It talks about taking, taking on the very attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing, made himself a servant. And so let's go to the family, for example, uh, in marriage. If, if your idea about marriage is that marriage will make you happy, that's not what the, that's not what the light of the world would illuminate. Instead, the light of the world would say, lay yourself down for them. In your friendships, you've got a friend that, that you, that, or, or all your friendships in your community, if you're looking for community to satisfy you, that's not kenosis. That's not the road of the cross. That's not laying down your life. But if you're looking for a community that you can invest in and you can satisfy them, that's kenosis. 
It's all, it's all based on the golden rule. At your workspace, you get overlooked for a, for, for a promotion and you think you deserve that promotion. And you can, you can either get, get uppity and say, talk to the hand and say, nah, -uh, not in here and, and, and get, get mad and say, I deserve this promotion. Or you can serve the organization and serve your boss and serve the people to the best of your ability and lay down yourself. And in my opinion, that's where promotion comes. The best workers are the ones that, that lay themselves down. Now, does it mean that you always let yourself be trampled in every situation by every boss and every spouse and every friend? No, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. But what I am saying is that if you want to look to the light of the world on how to live your life, he would say, don't defend yourself. Don't fight for your rights. Don't stand up against every person that bothers you. He would say, just, just let it go. Let it all go and lay down your life by your own accord, by your own will. And that's what the light of the world would describe, I think. There's a, uh, did I put this up here twice? I did. Oh, and here, this is what I wanted to point out here. Earlier we saw the words in Christ Jesus and how, how that, that rightness comes in him. And that's what you find in this passage that I just read about kenosis. It says, have this mind among yourselves. So have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of kenosis, of laying yourself down for everyone. Laying yourself down and worshiping God and loving other people. And it says, how do you have that? He said, that mind is yours in Christ Jesus. See, you can't, you can't muscle up and become selfless. You can't muscle up and give your life up for other people. But what you can have is the that there's an open invitation from a glorious God that said, I will come and give you my brain. I will come and shape and change and do a miracle in your life. It takes a miracle. It takes a miracle to be altruistic. It, take, it may take a miracle for one single act of altruism, but Jesus is in the miracle business. And it says you can have the mind of Christ in him. There was a, a Romanian pastor, and I'll close with this idea, named Joseph Tsan. And he, he, was, he was captured by the Romanian police and tortured and told not to preach. And he told, he told one of his interrogators that I will preach and, and I, I, you know, I, I appreciate you, I respect your job, but there's no, you can't stand between me and God. And the, the, his captor appreciated his resolve so much that he released him. And many times in his life he would go preach and then he would be captured. And he'd go preach and he'd be captured and he'd be tortured and interrogated. And at one point in his book, he talks about saying this to his captor. He says, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. We talked about figurative and literal uh, healing and figurative and literal touching and figurative and literal, literal turning over the tables. And I think this can be taken that same way. As followers of Jesus, we can literally lay down our lives and, and say, I will, I will lay down my life for other people for the glory of God. But it works figuratively too. If we go back to that list of your relationships, your friendships, your, your coworkers, how you treat your health, how you, how you view entertainment, all of these things, it all comes down to that one comment of Jesus and that one concept of Jesus that we lay down our lives, that we lay down our lives for the light of the world. And like we read in Philippians 2, if we're open to that and if we say to Jesus, come, do, do what you want to do. It says the mind of Christ is ours, that you can have it by opening up your life to him and inviting him to do that work in you, that he does miracles. The light of the world counters darkness. It'd be very simple to walk around 
confused, not knowing the answers to the big questions, not knowing the answers to why I'm here, what should I do? And Jesus, in my opinion, and, and if, you, if you want to explore that further, come talk to me, but Jesus, in my opinion, answers those questions well.